the giant thinkers giant thinkers podcast hey guys welcome to the show I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. G'day, guys. Welcome to episode number 77 of the Giant Thinkers podcast. I'm Ram Castillo, and we are kicking off the new year with a Q&A episode with me. I asked many of you in the community if you wanted to submit an audio recorded question. I got a whole bunch, so I've selected seven for episode 77, and they range. So thank you for those that submitted. Um, the questions ranged from, is it about who you know, not what you know in the design industry? Uh, how do you manage different personalities in design teams successfully? Um, tell us about the good and the bad. So I'll share a bit about my experiences there. Um, how do you overcome anxiety in the creative process? Uh, and when you're starting a business, or when you're talking to clients, how do you develop confidence in whatever you're doing? Um, there was also a question around using social media to engage and get attention, to build leads and increase trust and likability um, that might eventually lead to a sale. Great question. Tips and tricks and advice around getting new clients within the design industry. Um, and I like this one too. What, what do you do as a designer when you have a set of goals but you feel that you don't have the resources to reach them? Uh, there was a question around how to overcome fears and get past fears um, when you might not have all the answers or when you feel that you might not have all the answers. So let's get into it. I will play each recorded question and answer them on the fly. Hi, my name's Brittany and I'm from Sydney, Australia. And my question is, do you truly believe in the industry of graphic design? It's all about who you know, not what you know. Cheers, Britt. Thank you so much for the question. Uh, so in short, I believe that a large extent of getting ahead is who you know. Um, and no one told me this when I started out. I wish someone would have encouraged me to network a bit more and to get out there and meet um, people, not just people of influence, but just to learn off other people, to get mentors. You guys know I'm big on mentorship, wrote a second book about it, um, getting coaches, getting guidance, having catch-ups with uh, people that have done what you ultimately want to do. Um, and I say that because if everyone is starting out in the industry with some formal qualification, right? Whether it's a diploma um, all the way up to a degree or even a short course. Everyone's starting at a minimum level of knowledge. Um, that's why when you go to colleges at the end of year sort of portfolio night, many of the portfolios look the same. It's hard to distinguish because everyone is, yes, doing a major piece of work, which is where you can craft a different brand of yourself and, and, and separate yourself to, to show your design thinking and your skill set. But everyone is having the same modules of fundamentals. Um, you guys are having a curriculum that is quite similar to everyone else. And rightfully so, right? You need to know the basics. But 
just that the baseline is where everyone is starting from that's quite equal you need a minimum level of competency in craft in thinking in problem solving in theory in in practice um, so i would suggest to plant many seeds and some of them will blossom some of them won't but in order to increase your chances it does become a numbers game um, in a way of who you know in that you need to get out there and um and 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 really approach this strategically because there's a statistic out there that's quite high um, in the 70s or 80s where um, most jobs filled are filled from word of mouth. Agencies out there and design firms often go to their internal staff first and they say, hey, here are some jobs before we plug them to the public or to post them online. Um, we always encourage you know, referrals and some of them even have referral fees um, within the company that you work. So, so let's say your friend worked for um, Ogilvy or uh, DDB or uh, a, a large advertising agency, let's say. And there's a lot of designers there. That's where I built a lot of my career. Um, for 15 years, I've been in and out of agency world, um, ad advertising, marketing, um, communications. And there's big departments there with different skill sets designers creatives developers um, and we always would get emails every week of jobs that are on the market that haven't been plugged yet and you know if you have a friend in one of these agencies and they know that you might be looking for a job then of course there's your, there's your entry point in already before it's even advertised and it's going to be probably filled before um, it gets plugged online or put up as a job post on LinkedIn. So um, I encourage you definitely um, use that as your competitive advantage. Next question. Hi, my name is Carlos Estrada of Holland, Michigan in the USA. Ram Castillo, how are you doing? My question is, how do you manage different personalities on a design team successfully, the good and the bad. All right, I look forward to what you have to say. Thank you. Hey, Carlos, thanks so much for submitting that, mate. How do I manage different personalities um, in a design team successfully? First and foremost is you have to know your people. And by that, it's not just about the interview process and seeing all their credentials. It's really getting to know them. Um, I remember when I was a midweight designer, the managing director uh, at the time who I was, I was working for a uh, sort of mid-sized agency, he would go around every morning and just say hi to everyone. Um, and it was such a small gesture that meant so much to me personally because I'd come up from other places prior to that where no one even knew my name. So I think A, know your people. Um, doesn't have to be this hierarchical sort of um, showing weakness if I, as a leader, um, become friends with my employees. Uh, to be honest, uh, you know, there's always this, this chatter about empathy, but like be, be vulnerable. Vulnerability is such a strength. Um, so firstly, know your people. 
speak to them as human beings for crying out loud. Um, second, um, I would say is to, to have regular conversations with them off the back of that, but, but have more of a, a formal sort of set time so that they don't feel like they're intruding on your time. You know, set time with them, whether it's once a week, once a month, and it might just be 15 minutes, might be 30, might be an hour, but um, ask them how they're going. I would say ask them upfront early on in the working relationship, what motivates them. You know, one of my mentors told me once that um, the best way to motivate someone is to find what already motivates them. So find what they care about. Um, the thing is, if you hire people that are motivated by what the business objectives are, you won. It's always tricky when there's friction because the business has hired the business has a set of goals and business objectives, but they've hired someone or a group of people that aren't even motivated by that type of work or by those milestones or, or they're not even buying into the vision and the mission of the, the business. Um, there are some, some tips that I would give there around um, managing different personalities. Um, communication is, is key. But also, I guess the third thing I would say is, are you building enablers, whether it be tools, processes, things that empower them to make decisions? Because at the end of the day, they're going to feel enlightened or um, enriched and um, fulfilled by um, the contribution that they're making in the community. And if you are feeding uh, them something that really gives them their own level of contribution and that they feel like they're part of the team, um, you need to empower them as well. Now, that might mean um, that you allow them to make approval decisions on smaller jobs and then they can earn their stripes, they've built credibility, You've, they've tra you've trained them to be under your wing a little bit and then they can eventually make bigger decisions um, and you, you don't need to oversee them with every single thing. And that comes with design maturity as well and experience. Um, but it's amazing what, what the power of empowering someone within a set level of parameters um, can do for the people and the culture of your business. All right, next question. My name is Jessica. I'm from Sydney. And my question is how to overcome anxiety in a creative process when um, you, are, you start to um, develop your business or when you talk to clients and um, to be sure that whatever you are doing, becoming confident on whatever you are doing. Hey Jessica, thanks so much for your question. I would say in order to overcome anxiety, there's a few parts. One is being as prepared as you can be, but knowing that it's an iterative process. And what I mean by that is there's only so much time, money, resource that we all have in order to achieve something. So you've got to do what you can with what you have and know that part two to this is 
ensuring that you are believing in what you're saying or selling and knowing that whatever you're doing for clients and businesses is truly helping them achieve their goals. So when we talk about um, how do you become confident in uh, talking to clients, for example, in your question, in order to become confident talking to clients, um, it's like when you're recommending a movie to someone, um, you are so passionate, if it indeed was a movie that you liked, let's say, that you really loved the movie, you're sharing it to a friend, um, you're, you're storytelling, you're talking about uh, how it affected you, you know, and you're not doing it in a way that's disingenuine or inauthentic. So it's the same with talking to clients. If you believe that you are giving them a solution that would truly benefit them, that's where the confidence comes from. The anxiety actually for me, having spoken at over 65 events with no formal speaking training came from, the, the, the confidence came from knowing that, as I said in the beginning, it's an iterative process. And second, that I really believed in what I was saying. Um, and if I stumbled, I knew that um, my giving of my story far outweighed the thing I was wearing or if I felt I looked funny or sounded funny or if I stumbled on a word, that became second. Um, the other thing I will share is that um, anxiety is a perfectly normal part of our um, showing up to the things that matter. And what I mean by that is it's often a good thing. If you're not nervous or anxious, uh, it's usually a sign that it doesn't mean much to you. So I now take that as a signal of if I'm not nervous about something, then it probably doesn't mean much to me. Um, the moments that I am excited and, and mixed with nerves and, and anxiety is when I go far out. I, I think I, I definitely need to do this. Um, so it's an indicator of what you should be doing rather than what you shouldn't be doing. Also, last thing I'll share about this topic would be when you look at all your emotions, if you've got anxiety, fear, um, and nervousness on one end, and then you've got confidence, optimism, excitement, um, feeling pumped on the other end, know that they're all different emotions uh, that can get rearranged, right? So prioritize that end of the scale confidence, excitement, you're, you're contributing, you're helping people um, rather than these other emotions because that in itself is a choice and a, and a variable that you can control. Um, there's always going to be two voices. The one that says, you're not good enough. What makes you think that you can talk about this stuff? That's always going to be there. For me, it's also a mat mat matter of controlling that inner, inner voice to go, look, I know you're trying to protect me. I know you don't want me to be embarrassed. Um, and I know that you're only saying this to um, keep me safe and to, to keep me comfortable. But I'm okay. I've got this. And 
uh, it's now time for me to listen to this other voice that says you can do it. All right, next question. My name is Joy Pala. I am a landscape designer based in Johannesburg, South Africa. My question is social media marketing related, and I use LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to market my services. And I'll usually post pictures of completed projects. Now, that remains a very small pool of content to pull from. My question is, when I don't have completed projects, what else would you like to see as a potential customer, as a potential employer? What else would you like to see on my pages that would um, increase likability and build trust and eventually lead to a sale? Thank you. Thank you so much, Joy. Um, I would say that one, one thing that a lot of people don't do enough is showing work in progress. Um, everything is so polished now on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on, on your actual portfolio. Um, bring people on a journey. Um, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot, document, not create. Um, and it's really that, it's take people with you on your work in progress because that is actually how they're going to be able to connect. Behind the scenes is, is so underrated um, show the reality of it show how um, tough it can be show the intricacies of of your craft show the the ups and downs um, that is really how you're going to be able to connect with people um, whether it's potential customers clients partners whoever i would also say that really think about reverse engineering your communication to who you're really targeting. So really hone in on who you're speaking to. So you mentioned um, how, do you, how do you connect with a potential employer or, or a potential customer to increase likability and build trust? Well, there in itself are two different customer segments in a way. So a potential customer who might be just wanting um, a few different plants for their house or their little backyard versus a, a potential employer who might get you to contract for a whole landscaping job over the next year or two. For me, they're two different audiences. So ask yourself, who is my target audience or who are my primary and secondary target audiences? and create content that would have them feel that you are an expert in that field. So you might want to do a bit of research as to what are the top five things that they are feeling that they are looking to solve. Um, you know, it could be anything from, you know, garden shows are so big here in, in where I live in Sydney. Um, garden and home renovations and um, landscaping it's it's a huge market um so find out little things that you can really deep dive on whether it's um how to convert your small apartment corner um into a, an oasis or um you know how to bring um fresh air into your warehouse space or how to um, how to ensure that you are 
building a um, low maintenance um, backyard, um, whatever it is. Um, reverse engineer who you are speaking to and understand them. If you do not understand them, then go to them and ask questions. Um, and, and don't get too precious about the documentation and the posting process. You know, long form, short form. Don't get too caught, caught up in it, but go with your minimum frequency. And that frequency might be once a day for some people, might be five a day for some people. It might be once a week for some people. Um, but commit to the minimum and make sure that you are creating content that you're not spending too much time um, dwelling over. Because like I said, sometimes we get lost in the polish. Just take a photo of that thing, create a quick video of that thing um, and be consistent because the reality is um, it is a long game of building an audience, of building a um, community, whether it's a, an, an audience for your business or whether it's an audience of your content. Um, take the time to meet your minimum and that might be 10 minutes a day and I did write a post about this for AIGA, the uh, American Institute of Design, of how 10 minutes a day, that was my minimum and still is, how 10 minutes a day changed my entire life in everything that I approached. So find your minimum and show up to that. All right, next question. Hi, my name is Katura. I'm from Sydney, Australia. And my question is, what are the best tips, tricks, and advice you have on getting new clients within the design industry? Hey, Katura. All right, so getting new clients in the design industry, first thing, um, really sit down and figure out what kind of clients you're after. Once you figure that out, reflect your portfolio and social media presence to target those clients. For example, I often see portfolios have a mixed bunch of design artifacts, packaging design, magazine spreads, a few ads on social media type thing uh, that they've done maybe for uh, a small business or through an agency. Maybe they've chucked in a website, they've chucked in some, you know, merchandise design. All of that can actually be quite confusing um, because what people who are looking to hire you um, as a designer for is unlikely a whole bunch of different things like that. Um, the reality is that people are going to want to trust the credibility of a designer that can deliver on the specific need that they have. Now, yes, they might be looking for a branding designer who can think about brand strategy as well as execute on the recommendations of that strategy. Therefore, it will be all those things I mentioned, all those artifacts. But if that's not you, then likely they're going to look at someone that just specializes in digital or just specializes in packaging, for example. So unless you want to be a jack of all trades and have clients that want 
everything from you, then you might want to consider being an expert in a particular thing or showcasing your work that is skewed towards a particular discipline. And this is no different to someone wanting a UX designer versus a UI designer, right? So many times I see people um, branding themselves as UX and UI. That's great. But the problem that I've had when I've hired for a UX UI hybrid is that the level of projects that I was looking to hire for required an expert UXer and an expert UIer. That was just the reality of the, the, the level of projects that I was looking to hire for. Um, and the clients that I was working with were enterprise level clients, um, whether it's automotive or um, FMCG or airline or um, financial services. So just know that when you're up against someone inquiring you for, let's say, um, a website and a social media campaign, they would likely go to a digital designer versus someone that can execute with print and packaging and merch, let's say, and stationery, a whole bunch. They will likely always not, not even look at the, the print designer on the other end, if there's a client that really wants to look for a packaging designer, they're most likely already going to curate the ones that are packaging designers and that have predominantly packaging design. I mean, look at the other end of the spectrum here. If the shoe was on the other foot, if we were um, businesses that wanted purely um, digital experts, um, it would be no use to us to hire a packaging designer. I know it might seem um, super simple, uh, almost a no-brainer, but ensure that your portfolio, online portfolio, and that your social media presence reflects the type of clientele that you're after. Um, and then it's also about creating content that really gives them a hook into getting to know you um, because you need to spark conversation in areas that they're struggling with. So um, if you are looking for, um, you know, someone that wanted a, a packaging expert, let's say, you can create a whole series of content around the different types of bottles and material you know go down an eco-friendly route um, options for them go down the different die cuts and folds go down um, the different um, typography styles that affect people's emotions um, go down you know art history and, and make things interesting of how they would package stuff back then you know post stuff about how what are what are the innovative things that people are doing now is a whole range so um, make sure that you are reverse engineering the needs of your clients um, similar to the answer I gave um, for Joy who was a landscape designer looking to get clients um, and remember that you need to show your work in progress as well um, that for me is something that I feel is, is lacking at the moment.
Hope that helps. All right, next question. My name is Richard. I'm from Benin City, Edo State, Nigeria. And my question is, what do you do as a designer when you have a set of goals, but to reach them, you need some amount of resources and you don't have those resources? What do you do in the meantime? What do you do to attain those goals? Hey, Richard. Thanks so much for submitting your question all the way from Nigeria. Um, what do you do with a set of goals if you feel you don't have resources? Um, I talk about this a lot in um, my talks around mentorship because the reality is everyone that ever progressed in their field or everyone that we now potentially look up to who have done what we ultimately want to do have started from this very position, feeling like they don't have enough resources. The thing that we all start with though, Richard, is time and how you use that time is going to breed the conditions and the environment for you to either um, outwork um, or out, um, outrun kind of thing, the the people that are also in your position. So in your position, just like how I was when I started out, um, I didn't have any money to go to design school. My parents couldn't take me to design school because they couldn't afford it. Luckily, I was able to submit my entry or application to get scholarships. And I was able to be awarded one scholarship to a design school that wasn't even known for design. It was known for um, other um, things like marketing and IT. Um, and I just was very conscious that time was something that I had. I had little to no money. So I worked two or three jobs you know, bartending and working at the shop uh, at a retail store. And I just did what I could with what I had. Um, so even when it comes to time, link that with resource of, you know, you were able to submit this. So um, some people aren't even able to have the internet, but most people do now, you know, even in many, many different countries, third world countries or whatnot, the internet is accessible and it's made the world smaller. So within the internet, research connect with people just like how you've done here that is your resource that is a valuable resource um, when i started a podcast i knew nothing about podcasting i didn't have a audio engineering background when i started writing my first book now i've got two on the market i had no idea what i was doing uh, i ended up self-publishing my books so read research use your time wisely um, that is the most powerful resource. Sometimes we might feel that we need more than what we currently have and it can often hinder us um, from starting at all. I always think that creative people are one of the most valuable people to, uh, to know and if, if you're a designer or a creative person, um, you can utilize that as an asset to problem solve. There is a way, 
The other thing around time is patience. So be patient and know that you are playing a long game and that you're running your own race. Hope that helps. All right, next question. Final question, here we go. Hi Ram, my name is Simona and I am from Sydney, Australia. And my question for you is, in your line of work, um, you're constantly pushing the boundaries on on design and on um, business. And um, I'm sure there are things that you're not always 100% confident in. So could you talk us through your thought process on how to overcome some of those fears and how to um, get past them? Thanks. Hey, Simona. Uh, it's, it's a good question. I certainly am in that boat often, um, not being 100% confident in knowing the answers. Um, I don't think anyone can claim that they 100% know all the answers. So that's a good thing. Um, but the thought process that I go through to overcome those fears is that we don't know what we don't know. So A, it's important to be honest and transparent about what we don't know. But to contextualize our answers of what we think that we do know. So even here, um, I'm just sharing my advice based on my experiences, but there are so many ways to climb up that mountain. Um, and I think it's important to take the good and to leave the bad. You know, people see specialists, doctors, and I say doctors because they get a second, third, fourth opinion for that very reason. Most of them might have different answers or conflicting answers even. So be honest for one that usually removes the fears and anxiety because if you're honest, vulnerable and authentic in your answer and your answer should be drawing upon your experience and contextualize it as such, I think that removes a lot of the fears and it gives the other person confidence in you that, well, Simona or Ram, whoever's giving their answer to a particular um, topic is just sharing their experience. I think that's what we've got to always contextualize, that people are just sharing their experiences. Um, sometimes you've got to take it with a grain of salt because you might disagree with a lot of things that are out there in the world. Um, but some of the other thought processes that, that I apply, research and understand what your criteria is uh, or your, your outcomes are that you're looking for if you're not 100% confident in something um, it might well be that the anchor or the objective is uh, not 100% clear either and so understand the question or understand the objective and they say that if you don't have the answer it's because you don't understand the problem clear enough and the other thing, Simona, is that um, everyone's just figuring it all out. Even with things like social media, there, there are no rules. And for some reason, everyone has fallen into this thing like, I can't do it or I can't do it the way that that person does it. Everyone's just figuring it out. Um, I look at life as an experimentation, a big, massive experimentation. Including this, I'm just 
putting things out, out there. And um, I think what's far more important is to understand what your compass is, what your value systems are, making sure that you're staying true to that. Because yes, you're going to be scared when you when you do stuff or if you're not 100% certain you're giving the right advice or the right answers or the right um, solutions to a business or a client or whoever you're working with, um, your peers. Um, but I think, A, if you're contextualizing it, B, if you are honest with yourself and C, if you are drawing your own experience, um, that would mitigate a lot of the fears and reduce the anxieties and increase your confidence. There you have it, Giants. Thank you so much for tuning in to this special Q&A podcast episode. It's the second Q&A format that I've done ever. Um, I thoroughly enjoy it. And if you do like this Q&A style of content, I'm actually putting more of a focus on it via YouTube. So on YouTube, I'm deploying more effort and content on there. Uh, intentionally, I've been leaving it on the wayside a little bit the last couple of years. And I've decided to put this into five buckets. So one is Q&A time and each, each individual Q&A uh, that was answered in this particular podcast episode now lives as a video on YouTube. And I'd like to continue that series just in isolation outside of this podcast as well. Uh, and then I'd be able to repurpose that on platforms like LinkedIn and Instagram as well to hopefully reach more people. Uh, the other four or five categories outside of Q&A time that I'd like to deploy uh, more purposefully on YouTube, as mentioned, is mentor sessions, it's called. So they'll be just chats that I've had with other people that um, I look up to and that uh, have mentored me. Uh, the third is called what's on my mind. So just uh, certain topics that might live outside of design, creativity and entrepreneurship. The fourth is design tutorials. So I really want to put more um, yeah, tactical, practical things um, that's focused on design specifically as how-to videos. And the fifth and final one is hopping around. So I do a lot of traveling and I'd love to share that part of my life with many of you. And uh, I'm an advocate, as many of you know, for traveling because I think that it feeds our um, exposure to being a bit more knowledgeable about different countries, different places and how... Um, ecosystems and experiences are designed in those places that can of course better help our problem solving so please subscribe to my youtube channel on youtube.com slash ram castillo or just search my name on youtube i uh, would really love your support on there as i try to reach more people on the uh, video space uh, so certainly leave a comment um be involved in the content as well i'd love to hear your thoughts and if you're interested in submitting a question just hit me up on instagram and i'll give you the details to that similar to those that submitted here there's a slight uh, but easy list of steps to follow and you can submit your audio question to me uh what else um i really hope that you're all enjoying uh this podcast it's coming up to five years well it's four and a half years i started this in june july 2015 um, i'm looking to also 
develop more meaningful connections. I'm looking to ensure that I'm living within my values and express the fullness of my gifts as best as possible. So uh, do get in touch with me on Instagram. It's a platform that I find so easy, convenient and um, impactful for building such relationships especially now there's an audio message feature uh, which is handy and just really easy to dm uh, each other so please get in touch with me and let me know how you're going and which episodes have resonated with you in the past all right i think i'll leave it at that Um, you guys know where to reach me and what to look out for uh, and the next podcast episode will be out very soon thanks guys